Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. That's a lovely face you've got there going there. Did it remind me of that face? It reminds me of like those Sharpay dogs, the ones with the massive wrinkles. Well, you did that. Yeah, it does. If you look at it, it's like... Yeah. The, the thing is, this is the worst podcast entertainment ever because no one can actually see it. We put on YouTube. No, let me... Um, sorry, sorry, people, for while you wait. Let me just take a picture of your face, Johnny. Maybe we should put on YouTube. Do, do, that, do that again. Do that face again. Nice. Right, that's going to be the cover shot. Um, anyway, welcome, everybody, to episode number 83 or 4. Um, this is the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, where we have no nonsense about nutrition, but lots of nonsense in general, because we are a bit childish. Um, as you can see, or no, as you can't see, as you can hear, the intro to this podcast was all about Johnny doing silly faces to the camera, which is ironic given they don't go on YouTube, so it's a bit useless. But I will put as well. We did for the no, we did for the first few episodes, didn't we? But then no one actually ever watched them. We got about three views or something. Yeah, that'll happen at the start, man. Just keep chucking them on. Yeah, right. Well, uh, Ed used to do it and he gave up. And obviously, we get far more downloads, like at least five. So, I'm going to be on. I've been under 100,000 now. What, downloads? Yeah, easily. Over that now. Really? No, gen- gen- genuinely, we are. Yeah, we're over 100,000, I think. I feel like a celebrity. Yeah. Well, we are celebrities. People would recognise us. Um, Voices, no. not faces. Faces, no, no. Well, I don't know. We, I, I mean, I, I like to consider myself Insta famous. I mean, I've got like two and a half thousand followers or something. I don't know. Think of me. Think. <laughs> are you a dessert? I was listening to. Was listening to Jordan Peters earlier about something or other, and he was saying, "Think of you're like you're one. You're, what do you say? You're one or two people off knowing a million people, or being potentially connected to a million people, not yeah. knowing connected to a million people." Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Obviously, that's, that's the seven degrees separation theory and stuff, isn't it? So we're your your seven degrees of separation across from everybody, like seven. Yeah. He said you 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 as an average, you know, he said it's more. You know a thousand people in your life, and then they know a thousand people, and then they know a thousand people. Yeah, well, that's where the kind of seven degrees thing comes in. In that there, there's only seven like this seven links of separation where you know everybody, entire world's population. Yeah. So what else you mentioned, which could be relevant to nutrition in some some way, price is law. You know that? Nope. It's basically, if you go by money, it's like 1% of the world control like 50 or 60% of the money and then the rest make up the rest. And it talks about work. And it's like when you've got uh, 10 people working in a company, three people do half the work, the rest will do the other half. Then when you get to a thousand employees, someone like only thirty will do half the work, the rest won't. Hundred thousand people is only like hundred and fifty people. It's like you relate that back to like people on Instagram who are shredded fucking bits, or the people who lose shit loads of weight, or the giant bodybuilders. They are the tiny percentage of most people who achieve uh, who want to achieve certain things, you know what I mean? Yeah, so they're, they're the tiny percentage of people that actually ever get in that shape or stay in that shape. That's so that should, should should make you realise how difficult it is to get into certain types of conditions. Mm. 
I like to. Um, have you heard of the Pareto's law? Nope. So um, I can't remember the background of said Mister. I think he's a guy. Guy called Mister Pareto. I'm just gonna. I don't know. But um, the theory is that you get eighty percent of your results from twenty percent effort. Um, and to be honest, my experience is that I agree that in most walks of life, that is absolutely true. So you take nutrition as an example. So you probably get 80% of results by 20% of the things that matter, i.e., you know, the small things or the, the, a small few handful of things, i.e., calorie balance, protein. All of the other 80% people focus on the minutiae little detail of supplements and nutrient timing and all those other little tiny things. Those 80% of all that effort that goes into that only counts for 20% of the results. So actually, you're better off focusing on the 20% because that's obviously where you'll get the, the, your bread and butter, your meat and veg. So, or your meat and potatoes, as they like to say in America. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I think that you know it's very true in all walks of life. I think um, I read a book called Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. It's kind of like a business, um, yeah, business book, I suppose. And he, he kind of talks about something similar. I think he even refers to Pareto's law. But he says the same thing. Like, I think the example he used was something around a, a salesman of some sort, like a, a man who owns his own business. And he was getting like 80% of his sales from like 20% of his clients. And he was trying to keep 80 the other 80% ha- clients happy. And they were only doing 20% of his business. Like, why are you wasting your time trying to keep those people happy when actually you can just get 80% of your business from those other 20% and save yourself 80% of your time? Yeah. yeah. It does make sense, it? Yeah, and you relate that back to nutrition, it makes absolute sense. Because like you say, we know once you kind of manage calorie balance, the rest of the stuff obviously makes far, like, you know, we, we talked about the, the nutritional hierarchy or pyramid. The rest of it just goes up and has very little importance. So basically save your time, effort and stress, is what we're saying. Most hang- people have triangle like that. They've got it like that. <laughs> um, if, for those who remember Johnny Ronner audio podcast, Johnny made a pyramid style shape with his fingers the right way round, and then he turned it the wrong way round. Said most people have it the wrong way round. You can imagine what that looks like. Yeah, focusing on trivial nonsense. You know what I mean? Just because you know some bodybuilder or some female bodybuilder, or whatever, said, "Oh, I, I eat organic chicken, or I eat twelve meals a day." Then you focus on that. Those two little things that you think made they got them into shape when. It's not like it's the twenty years of training and eating and progressive overload and all that sort of stuff. And the six hundred milligrams per weekly, day. maybe even daily per, per day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you see that video? Do you see that post I shared yesterday? She really bugged me up. Uh, I think I did, but I think I bookmarked it to come back and watch it later because I haven't looked at it. Oh my god! It was it, it made me angry. This I think. is the radio show thing, right? Yeah. She needs to she needs explain to it. Up. Explain it, and then we'll move on to. Yeah, the a nutritional expert on. So, I, I invert, you know, whatever, whatever they are. Air quotes. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, nutritional expert. I don't know. I don't know who she was, but she seemed she seemed to talk sense. So she obviously knew what she was talking about. And this radio show was <clears throat> woman was obese for one, and they were chatting about obesity and in the be class of disease. So the nutritionist said, nutritionist said, I don't think it's, it's a disease. It's you're in control most of the time of what you eat, basically. So, you know, your hand to your mouth, the calories you consume. And she said, fundamentally, it boils down to how much you eat. You're eating too much and 
it's become accepted that being gross overweight is is acceptable and is not and is killing people, blah blah blah. And the, the very large, well, clinically obese um, host refuted it all, denied it all. So you uh, basically ripped a piss out of this nu- nutritionist and embarrassed her, or tried to embarrass her, kicked off the show because she disagreed with her, disagreed with her um, <clears throat> views on it's not about food. I've dieted for the last 25 years and look what I am now. I'm thinking, yeah, because you haven't fucking stuck to it ever. That's why you've gained 20 stone in 25 years. It's like, it wasn't a fact. If it's a civilized conversation, then it's fine. You can have dif- dis- disagreements mm. and then whatever. But it's the way she acted. It's like you're a spoiled little child. I swear to God. I do want to throw some at her. Yeah. There's a lot going about at the minute because obviously the UK are potentially talking about um, the NHS diagnosing obesity as a um, or diagnosable disease, whereas obviously it's not at the moment as such. So I guess there's a lot of debate around whether that's the case or not. Um, I think one of the things I kind of noticed and saw one of obviously our friend James Smith um, talked about whether he felt or he, he he's he quite clearly stated actually sorry that he didn't believe that obesity should be clinically diagnosed as a disease as such. His rationale or reasoning being that um, by doing so, it kind of alleviates any responsibility from the individual because it's almost like, oh, I've got a disease, so that's why I'm fat, I think, because that's kind of his idea. Um, And I kind of see his point on that in that people, obviously, that are obese do have to take lots of responsibility in terms of their food choices, their lifestyle, etc., etc., etc. Because, obviously, fundamentally, if you really reduce you know it is reductionism but reduce this down to the fundamentals it is calorie balance they're eating too many calories and not moving enough that's you know that that doesn't really get any simpler than that but we do know that's a far more annoyance annoyance to really in that there's far more that go that's why i'm kind of torn between my my own personal opinion on whether it should be you know diagnosed as a disease or not just because obviously we know that there's some psychological issues. We know that there's environmental issues, socioeconomic issues, all these things that contribute to um, obesity. It's just so complex that it's just not as easy as going, no, it's your fault, eat less. Is it? Yeah, it's not that easy in that respect, is it? I think I listened to Lyle McDonald, and he's obviously talking about genetics, and he said the, the, the people who do have conditions that would contribute to severe obesity are so rare it's unbelievable. Yeah. So he's saying the rest of it is all down to other things, like obviously <clears throat> eating too much being fundamentally one of them, and obviously mental issues. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, as we say, if we if we ate for we don't if we ate just for hunger, if we ate just for survival, it'd be a lot easier. But we don't. We eat for so many other reasons, and obviously so many other things then affect our food choices. Like I say, like even socioeconomic, like the 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 largest population of obese tends to be from the poor areas it's as simple as that and obviously why that is i don't know i'd have to look into research more and find out no because i'll be honest i don't i don't know for definite but obviously in those poor areas we do know that they have higher percentage of fast food chains um which obviously which tend to have higher calorie um meals available to them um they tend to go for more convenience and, and more like i don't stereotypical but you know you like your chicken nuggets and chip style meals um you know, because they tend to be a lot of the cheaper things that you can buy out of supermarkets and stuff. So, I mean, it, that's just one element. As I say, kind of the emotional connections to food and the reasons why we eat, 
that type of stuff it, it does just contribute loads to to the reasons or rationales why to obesity so that's why it's really difficult to decide whether you think it should be a disease now obviously i do understand i do kind of feel like if you do they do categorize it as a disease at least potentially it might give more powers to doctors and um uh medical staff to treat it properly maybe or give it more treatment i don't know i, I just of, of the first thing i think about is to just give too many people an excuse yeah well that was james's opinion and I don't know. I, I I think it's like I, I, I'm glad you say it's the first new things. I'm sure if you took more time to think about it, you'd come up with obviously, yeah, yeah. I think you'd come up with obviously a, a more detailed answer. Obviously, I think it's easy to think that way, and I do see that, and I can imagine that can be the case for some people. But I just think it's far more complex. I don't think I just don't think maybe we can even make statements like that. I don't think yeah. there's a right or wrong answer. It's so difficult to say, really. But I, I think, think that structure in place, wouldn't they? Of this, like, oh, just because you're this BMI, you've got a disease. It has to be right. You are this BMI. You have tried, I don't know, this many diets. You've got this condition. You've got that. You've got a history of depression. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Something. It, must, it can't be like, oh, you're BMI third. You've got a disease. Yeah. It's like, I, mm. I suppose, like, um, it, it, by, by calling it a disease um, or, or diagnose it as a disease, it does, as I say, allow medical professionals to maybe feel like they can treat them more and it isn't just a case of go away and lose some weight it's a case of actually look there's there are some um treatments and some some solutions we can go through and they can actually support and empathize and do all the things that obviously as medical professionals they should do maybe even diagnose them and then refer them to qualified uh, personal trainers or nutritionists or maybe not i don't know about personal trainers that are my opinions on that but nutritionists or dietitians um, to actually get the support, like proper support that they need to to help them in in every aspect of why they you know, potentially overweight. Because obviously we know working from clients, it can be so multifaceted into the reasons why people overeat. So anyway, by the by, we obviously a little small tangent there, but it's interesting chat there. Yeah. Um, I will watch that clip, Johnny, about the uh, the radio yeah. show. Yeah, it's me. Like you say, it's more about it's more about respect, isn't it? Like you say, because it, it can have a difference of opinion. Fine, you can you can go away and say like I don't agree. So okay, let's agree to disagree or, or whatever. If there's no conclusion, but to be rude and kick people off, I mean, disgusting behaviour. Yeah, she just made some look a bit of a bit of a dick. Yeah. I, just want, I actually commented in the video. I said, "That has sound. Have you ever seen a fat starving African? Never, ever. Fat starvation mode." Yeah, but it's, it's, you don't see it. Never, ever, ever. If they're starving, which is a shame, obviously, in Africa, they are never, ever, ever, ever fat. Never once. Not in the billions of people have never been fat. Yeah, it's kind, it's kind, like, kind of a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's like, surely all the people who think it's not about calories just look to there and think, oh, well, actually, mm, it probably is. Mm. Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, what else have you been up to other than watching dodgy clips on Facebook um, I went to buy some gloves today gloves go to Germany. yeah Gold warm gloves warm gloves for the warm cold because okay. we're going to Germany Wednesday anyway, and it's like three feet of snow as people from in snowed in can't get out cut off to the rest of the world Ooh. so yeah it's a few feet of snow over there so I better wrap up a little bit I hope you uh, get a hat for that bonds yeah I got a hat got a nice new got a nice new coat as well Good. You're gonna watch the um Biathlon World Cup. Am I gonna watch it? Or you uh, are <laughs> you asking me, I'm not gonna watch it, mate. Oh, I'm watching it. We'll get, um VIP tent. 
Oh. So we're in. Well, I've, never, I've never done it before, so I don't know what it's like, really. But so, what do you get in a VIP VIP tent? Who knows? I hope don't some. Know. I hope some sort of warm cider or some warm yeah. spiced cider would be nice. I'm gonna go, but I'm not paying for it. So whatever, whatever I get, it's a bonus. Hmm. Yeah, good. It should, should be good. Yeah. So nice trip over Harwich to Holland to Germany. Wednesday. Good. For up to much this weekend what's the week not a lot mate actually um, training is going well um, had Benny Boy over this morning Ben Carver obviously one of Ed's clients um, had him over and we did a, a nice little leg session this morning um, other than that I don't think I've done a lot this weekend I can't think of even what I did yesterday oh I, d- I took Summer to a local um, farm I don't know if you describe it. it was, well, barns, rocks and barns. Any any local listeners? Um, a load of barns with like a little farm shop and some little craft shops and stuff. And then they've got like a small farm where they it's like a little touristy farm. You can pay a fiver to get in, and then just you know they sell some of the show some of like goats and pigs and horses. And she got to hold a little guinea pig, although she didn't want to hold him. She's like, no, no. I said, do you want to hold him? No. No, so, um, no. No. She just goes no. <laughs> um, but she loves the animals. She loves just looking at them. She obviously, you know, I do the usual make a pig noise somewhere. What noise a pig make? <laughs> or what noise is Whatever. She just goes through them all, which is good. Um, so, yeah, and then I just went to a local uh, smokehouse, which is nearby in Roxham, which is the best, best smokehouse. Fab- fabulous. So, um, that was all good. Yeah, it was a highlight of my weekend, I suppose. So, I'll say I do, do a lot else. So, um Speaking of leg, I'm actually finally back in the three-player club for squatting. Finally, right. three Yeah, mate, it's a bit wonky, isn't it? Wouldn't you like fall off one side? Three plates aside. Oh, sorry, <laughs> mate. I, I can do that. Ten, ten, the ten. That's only ninety kilos. That's easy. Well, actually, it's not even ninety. It's eighty. I can't even count. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can do that. Easy. One forty, man. Come on. Sorry. Anyway, uh, quarter squats don't count. You know that. I do not quarter squat. <laughs> uh, jokes, jokes. Good. I actually worked on my squat this this year, even though I was training was crap. I was actually on this why I just go in and get in there deep. I just kept it on this and this. Uh, all right, now getting pretty. Decent. Yeah, no, one forty is very respectable. So I get to one eighty. That's a long way away, like, but yeah. Yeah, well, I, I feel like 180 is a long way away for me, but I am, I'm getting to a point where, obviously, I've been massing for so long now. Uh, I am getting to a point where I'm going to need to start to mini-cut, I think. I speak to Ben this morning, I think I just can't bring myself to diet quite yet because, one, progress has been pretty good, and two, I'm enjoying the comfort of, obviously, additional food. Um, I haven't really, albeit I have kind of loosely tracked, I haven't really been tracking the last few weeks either, so... Um, Show me grabs. No, there, there aren't any. They're all gone. Come on. Show me your abs. I don't know if you why you want to, Johnny. Right, keep bucking. <laughs> keep going. No, I am going to for a little while. Um, but they are pretty. They are nearly gone. They are nearly gone. I think. I mean, I, I've, I'm still on about a 182, 183 pounds, which is, to be honest, probably top end of what I want it to be. Because obviously, when we did the photo shoot, one of the things that me and Matt both talked about at the end of it was like. One thing I've learned is that I didn't need to be as heavy and I've just that was harder for me to then diet to get into the shape, the photo shoot shape. So I kind of thought to myself, actually, I want to kind of hold more at a lower weight. But it hasn't really happened. Um, 
Mm. So what, what are your thoughts on Mike Isretel's view then of going and being a bit more aggressive to maximise to maximise yeah. muscle knowing that it's easier to take fat off than it is to gain muscle I, I agree I do agree I agree with Mike I know a lot of people take like take a, a slower approach like the 3DMJ approach tends to be a bit slower and I do agree that I agree with Mike in that I think well I definitely agree that it's easier to put on um easier to lose fat off obviously than it is to, to obviously put on muscle so actually yeah you're right why not take the easy approach of just maxing make, making sure you get as much muscle as possible on the basis that you might have to diet a little bit longer but it's a fair trade-off i think it's like anything in fitness that is probably a continuum of where it gets to a point or or um what's the what's the phrase sorry i'm not pretty explaining this very well um like a, a there's a limit in returns what you're going to get so it's kind of find that sweet spot where you're maximizing muscle without going way too far over and above and just because obviously it does come a point where you're just putting on fat and no muscle um which at that point that's the, the the hard part of judging really isn't it and that's obviously why you need to be a good coach or have a good coach to obviously get an idea and I, obviously i don't think i'm quite there yet but i think there's also an element of you need to decide how comfortable you feel as well it's not you know and how healthy you are and um, you can't just keep pushing it on the basis of obviously, yeah, well, I'm, I'm maximizing muscle gain. Because actually, if you feel uncomfortable in your own skin all the time, arguably that's obviously as detrimental as it is to just miss out on a little bit of muscle growth. So, or, or more so. That is true. Yeah. And how close you are to the genetic limit. If you're miles off, then you could probably carry on. I fucking, gains- I, I fucking hope I'm miles off, mate. Because if this is my genetic limit, Jesus Christ, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, still squatting 60, 60 kilos. Jesus, I'm sure I could do better than that. I seen a post earlier about um, oh, you can still be in shape when you're after 14, is like The Rock, Jason Statham, Sly Sloan. I was thinking, you mean all yeah, the people on drugs? Shoveling loads of growth and gear. And <laughs> you I'm not saying it's, it's not any less impressive, but. Is a bit of a you know a misleading sort of article. Now you've got yeah. Jason Statham who's just shredded, but I think he is rel- relatively normal, as in like 13, 14 stone, which is relatively normal. Still quite heavily be shredded, mind, but it is. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's within the realms of achievability for yeah. you know many people. It's, you don't look at Jason Statham and think, "Oh my God, that I could never achieve that." Like, yes, yeah, so with 20, 30 years of training, and you know. You know, a decent, decent amount of genetics. You know, it's easily achievable for anybody. Because that's probably what he's got, hasn't he? You know, he must be like nearly fifty now, is he? Yeah, I think he's like fifty something. Yeah. So, so he's probably easily got twenty, thirty years of training, don't he? Yeah. Rock was forty-eight. Sly is seventy something. He's the most impressive. Bryce, I watched uh, Escape, Escape Plan one or two. Is that the one with Arnie. Yeah. You look at the size of his hands and you think, you know. You're not going to be a small bloke with giant hands. No, because he'd look like a lollipop man. Yeah, he'd look ridiculous. And yeah. he'd look like he's got big cartoon gloves on. Well, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you've got to look at the structure of some people who think, yeah. I've never seen that in a gym before. We skinny guy, giant hands. And thinking, that's obviously not the only thing that contributes to be how big you are. But I think you're probably going to be huge in 20 years. I, th- I honestly thought you were going to say that's probably not the only thing big on him, and I thought you were going to insinuate his penis is big. No. I don't no, know no. why that came to my head, but genuinely, that was what I was thinking you were going to it, say. It may have been. <laughs> I mean, if you've got giant hands, and that's yeah. really tiny, it's going to look ridiculous again, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's why I'm really glad I've got really tiny hands. <laughs> anyway, so 
let's move on because <laughs> we're 25 minutes in already um talking about all manner of shit um so we had uh a request from one of our lovely listeners, Rosie, who wanted us to go out. She basically asked, had we done a podcast on protein before? And I said, yes, we have. Um, we've kind of gone in to stop showing me that horrible man. <laughs> um, I said, we had gone into some, some detail around kind of uh, the roles and functions of protein in the body, protein metabolism, um, the point that we all care about in how protein works to get big gains, big muscles. Um, but she asked a few questions and said, right, do my cover them? So, um, yeah, I said that I would uh, definitely like to talk a bit, a bit more detail around this type of stuff. So we're going to go through quite a structured, but hopefully not completely boring um, episode, really all about the fundamentals of uh, protein um, for general pop, health, but also performance and why we really care. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, Johnny. And I'm going to guide this down the road I want it to go, full disclosure. But I'm just going to say to her, let's start talking about what these things mean. So, first off, um, I was going to say what are proteins, but what are proteins made of? Proteins are made of things called amino acids. That's so that, really that is, interesting. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is basically the, the basic... Uh, structure mm. of protein and it's like protein's the only only macro that contains a nitrogen molecule yeah. if that uh if that, floats, you, if that floats your boat right <laughs> we got, actually just a bit side note we got uh I, well i got lots of good feedback about my impressions just apparently you someone said they were really good yeah, 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 so yeah. I, I had quite a few sure. people yeah, yeah. I, had, I had quite a few people messaging me say how good they were so really happy yeah. with that um anyway side note um yeah so yeah so, uh, but obviously they, Proteins are made up of amino acids. Sorry, just before you do, can you just explain, um, layman terms, kind of what what like what what that is and why it matters? So, and then go on to what you're about to say in terms of of those. Right. Like so, now, you use an analogy, maybe a building brick. Yeah, that's gonna. Yeah, fair enough. I was, I was thinking. Hmm. I got to think of a good analogy here. So, yeah, so the amino acids basically are, let's just think of the building blocks of protein. So you think, I don't know, maybe the house is the protein, and then the bricks of that house are the amino acids that make up that protein. And then of those bricks, you've got different kinds. So maybe would I say... I don't know, a foundation is made of bricks or is it some other poured concrete or something? Yeah, it's poured concrete, I'd imagine. But um, right. let's, let's um, not worry about the foundations right now. So you can just stick to the bricks. <laughs> uh, okay. And then I said we'd the make bricks. this interesting and funny. <laughs> <laughs> right, so of, of those bricks, you've got, you've got non-essential bricks. So... They are things that the body can manufacture itself, so you don't need it. So maybe those bricks are I'm trying to think of a cool really thing. The house. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're the bricks that make the uh, porch veranda over your front door, or whatever. Not veranda. I don't know what the right word is. You know, or, you get those little covers, shelters over your front door. 
or they or, or they the bricks that are already on site. You don't need to go and get any more of them bricks because you've got loads of them. Yeah, well, I, I I don't know if that's a good analogy, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, but then you've got you've got the essential amino acids which oh. the body can't manufacture by itself, and it needs to come in from the outside through food, protein, and do we list these or are we not? No, no, not not unless you think it's a real big consideration, Johnny. We have everybody's heard of, well, I say probably now everybody's heard of leucine, but leucine is one of the major ones that you will hear about, especially um, for thing, for bodybuilders, training and muscle gain, because that is... We'll come on to that later, though. Yeah, don't go into too much detail. Yeah. Right, so I'll just, I'll just leave it there, then. Just leave that there, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, cool. Like it, a good analogy. I like it. House, building blocks. Um, so yeah, uh, is there anything I want to add to that? I don't think so. Um, oh yeah, branch chain amino acids, BCAAs. What are they? Branch chain amino acids. Um, how do I explain? I don't know, to be honest, they're probably you can only explain them as we just described them. Really, they are amino acids with branched chains. Um, there are three yeah. of them. So. Um, leucine, isoleucine, like and valine, I suppose. And yeah. same to the point that we were going to talk about later in, in leucine, but essentially they're just part of the essential amino acids. So, like, none of this really matters to general population, mostly, um, in that essential, non essential, uh, you probably don't need to worry too much. As Johnny said, you just need to make sure you eat enough essential because you can't, you can't synthesize them or create them, or they aren't already readily available within yourself. So, um, I suppose we could argue glutamine is one conditionally essential that if you are um, in certain disease states, it can become essential to have it. But for most part, you can synthesize it yourself or whatever. So, um, supplementing with 99.999% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, glutamine is like the most abundant uh, amino acid in your body, in all muscle fibers, which is why people used to always think, oh, you've got to supplement a shitload of that because obviously that's the, obviously what your muscles are made of. So you must, more is better. When actually you've got all, loads of it already, you don't need any more. Anyway, so, um, okay, so you mentioned central, non essential. I guess there's also, um, so the total protein, so the actual houses that we're consuming. Um, so we know that some of them um, have essential and non essential. Um, let's talk about complete versus incomplete proteins. What does that mean? Right. So complete proteins means it has all amino acids. So if you look at these as your meats, so in general, meats will have a complete amino acid profile. Why, whereas... do, meats, why do meats have a complete amino acid profile? Why do they? Yeah. Come from animals. Mm key point yes should put it in the start maybe yeah yeah but so they come from animals so they contain all 20 amino acids and incomplete proteins which may have at least the essentials missing from them and usually this will be a problem with vegetarians, vegans, unless the diet is suitably 
with Melodifor set up to combine certain protein sources to, because if one protein source doesn't have all 20 amino acids, say that's 10, but the other protein source you combine with it has the other 10, then it then becomes complete to yeah. get the whole spectrum of amino acids. But yeah. that's probably another reason why don't just go vegan or vegetarian because you think it's healthier. Do it because it's what you believe in, but don't be fooled that it's a healthier yeah. diet because it isn't. That's what, I mean, obviously, that's a whole whole nother podcast episode isn't it, that we obviously did with Alan, but you're absolutely bang on for saying that in that, like, but by any nature, a vegan or vegetarian diet is restrictive because you're restricting a large food group. By being restrictive, it then means you're restricting yourself to certain nutrients, let's just say. And obviously, like you say, um, with animal protein-based sources pretty much being the only complete protein sources outside of quinoa, quinoa, um, and soy, but they are complete protein sources, albeit they're still carb sources. They just contain a small amount of protein, like quinoa. I love quinoa. I don't know why I always say quinoa. When I say I love quinoa, I don't really like quinoa that much. I just like calling it quinoa. Quinoa. <laughs> quinoa. Um, quinoa oh. is still only about 10% protein, by the way. Of course, all you veggies or vegans out there that are eating your quinoa for protein, you're eating about 95% of, of the, the rest of it is carbs and a tiny bit of fat. So the re- 95% of the rest of it. Not 95% of the whole lot before you think my maths is shit. Um, anyway, so, Yeah. The point is, obviously, if you, like Johnny said, if you mix them, though, if you mix your sources of protein, you can get away, you can get around the fact that if you if you you have a non-animal based diet, you can get around it. Like you might find, like supplements, say, as an easy example to use or analogy to use, you'll often find that vegetarian or vegan uh, supplements will have like a rice and a pea mixed together, rice and pea, because obviously that then covers all the essential and obviously all of the non-essential amino acids as well. So you get a full spectrum across in your su- in your supplement. Um, whereas if you're just a vegetarian who just lives on peas all the time, you're going to be missing a few nutrients that you might need and certainly missing some what we call quality protein. So just Rosie's one of our questions was around like protein quality. What does that mean? So I guess just just on the, uh, the back of what Johnny said, that is exactly what we mean. A quality protein contains all 20 amino acids. A lower quality protein don't. So you'll often find, like you say, animal proteins will contain all 20 amino acids. Plant-based ones, most most likely other than soy quinoa, don't. Um, why it might be relevant is things like protein bars is always a big topic. So a lot of people are buying these protein bars because it's popular nowadays. I love a protein bar, everyone knows that. But you do have to be a bit careful because a lot of them probably have quite or some of the cheaper brands anyway um well actually not necessarily some of the cheaper brands so even some of the more expensive brands might do it but they do fill up a protein bars with low quality protein so collagen um soy um soy isolate or soy soya crispies that type of stuff a lot they they don't have a full amino um, acid profile so when you're eating protein bars for your gains or to get a high quality protein in you might be doing yourself a bit of injustice although i had this conversation with aaron from myonomics um shout out to aaron actually if anyone wants to myonomics go follow him puts out some amazing um, and fantastic content um side note but yeah i had a conversation with him about it said oh like do you worry about your protein content in your protein bars and i said well actually do you know what if you're getting all of your protein from protein bars you've got other things to worry about than the quality of your protein in your bars so yeah anyway so yeah, that's all I would add to that. I think obviously just a mixed diet is essential, but um, 
unless it's through ethical or environmental reasons, I wouldn't necessarily recommend reducing um, or getting rid of animal animal based products because you know meat and dairy are fabulous nutritious sources of. Yeah, and vegan, you could, it's even harder work because yeah. there's no eggs and there's no dairy, mm-hmm. so you're making it even harder for yourself. Unless you really, you know, are vegan for religious reasons or you don't want to kill animals, then that's up to you. Fair enough, but to believe it's healthier and it's better for you is like misguided. Absolutely misguided. I like this. It's a great word for it. Misguided. It's good. And it's, it's hard work for you. Like to set it up properly, it's going to be hard work. Mm-hmm. And another point that I just remembered, I think there was a big time power lifter body who went vegan. And then people look at him, oh, he's vegan, look at the size of him. Well, actually, he trained for 25 years as a non-vegan and was eating meat. And that's how he built his body, not from five minutes of being vegan. So don't let that fool you into believing that being vegan is better for, must have been for one, because it just isn't. I mean, it's not necessarily worse either. It's just harder work. Like we said, yeah. the things were covered. You have, to, you have to kind of pay very much more careful attention to what you're consuming to obviously make it work and i think as i say just the point i made about quinoa one of the biggest problems i find with vegan vegetarian diets is you know they don't kind of help with the energy balance thing because obviously lots of foods they're trying to consume to get adequate nutrients then come with a lot higher other macros so quinoa comes with loads of carbs soy and beans and other stuff can often come with other carbs so <clears throat> when they're eating beans for protein it can be quite or nuts for protein say you know that comes with loads of carbs and loads of fat that can be quite um, or turn into quite a high calorific intake, so um, just to get adequate uh, you know amounts of protein. So it does make things difficult to then even help with things like dieting, which is why Johnny's point again around like trying to re- rely or focus on a vegan or vegetarian diet for health can obviously again be misguided because it actually might result in in not losing weight or weight gain potentially, which arguably is one of the the biggest effects on our health. So imagine being a sixteen stone man, want to lose weight and want to consume two grams a kilo. You know what I mean? So it's like, what's that? Take 200 grams. That's, that's going to come with a lot of calories compared to if that was a meat eater. Yeah. Go on, well, like chicken breast, whey protein, yogurt. Let's do, let's do a quick maths on that. So if you want to get 200 grams of protein from quinoa, say, so on my uh, loose example of it being about 10% protein, you know, and the rest of it, let's just say the rest of it carbs just for ease. You know, it's 200 grams of protein and another 90% of carbs on top of that, which is what? Fuck me, my maths is shit. I think what that's just one eighteen hundred odd or whatever it is. Is eighteen hundred? Is it eight? Oh, I don't know. Fucking hell. Should have should have worked this out well, in the calculator eight. rather than trying to rely on my. Yeah. Well, it's eight hundred calories of pro eight hundred calories worth of protein is two hundred grams. If you're saying that's only ten percent of the total calorie intake, it's eight thousand calories in total. Hmm. Two, yeah, sorry, man. I was just trying. I uh, actually working out. So yeah, you'd obviously have to have another two thousand grams of carbohydrates on top of the two hundred grams of protein, which is what that's eight. That yeah, eight thousand calories. And so if you want, say you want to do that in chicken breast, so two hundred grams in chicken breast. That'd be like five chicken breasts or something. Is nine hundred grams, which is eight hundred calories, so ten times less. So it just shows you how, how hard it is to get a protein from a vegetarian or vegan source, i.e. like quinoa. Because it's not. It's a, it's, a, it's a carbohydrate source. It's not a protein source. So Anyway, uh, okay, cool. So done that to death, I think. Protein. Can it be used for energy? Can it be used for energy? 
It can be, but I don't think it's very efficient, really, is it? No. It's something called gluconeogenesis, so which said gluco, glucose, genesis, new, new glucose. So that's basically what the name means. Um, <clears throat> and it, so it can, it, protein can be sort of hauled upon if needs be to maintain blood glucose levels and it's is it stimulated by the release of glucagon yeah yeah so in, um, let me just let me get this right so I explain it right so when you consume food insulin insulin will rise a certain amount be able to put that food into the places it needs to go um so when insulin drops quite far, then you have glucagon at the bottom, sort of glucagon gets released, so then you can maintain blood glucose levels. So then you can use protein to potentially maintain blood glucose levels and give you some energy. I don't think it's very, it's not very efficient. Body likes glucose carbs, easy to, easy to absorb, easy to digest, easier to get rid of. So yeah, it can be used, yeah. but probably not the recommended thing really to maintain energy. No. So I'll, if I can just round it up just to make it succinct for people if they didn't quite understand it. So like what you're saying is obviously when we um, when we consume a normal meal with carbohydrates in it, say, um, obviously that goes into the blood as glucose, we, we then produce insulin, which then stores that glucose in cells, i.e. in the muscles, or in or it converts it into, stores it into fat cells. Um, when it then drops, and if we then have times of periods without a meal, obviously we then start to obviously starve, say, use the term loosely, um, that our body then releases glucagon instead, which is a um, like an unlocking hormone. I think it's a hormone or a peptide, I can't remember. Um, but that then unlocks stored sugars. So it might unlock... Um, uh, glycogen, say, from the muscles to then basically give you blood uh, glucose again back in your blood to obviously because it f obviously thinks that it's trying to maintain sugar levels and they drop too low. That process of releasing glucagon also stimulates gluconeogenesis, which Johnny said is the conversion of proteins, amino acids, into glucose to again help maintain blood sugar levels. So you can imagine it's quite a nice nifty little thing that when we've got glucose, insulin stores it. When we haven't got glucose, and our blood sugar levels drop, we have glucagon, which then helps us regulate that whole thing. So we still have the same amount of blood sugars all the time, pretty much. That's a nifty thing for if you want to survive, right? Yeah, or you become diabetic, which is or, an issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also why you don't really get people having like um, uh, hypos, because obviously people go, oh, you've got, oh, got low blood sugars. You don't really ever happen unless you're diabetic because you've got glucagon, which actually helps fucking stop that happening. Um, so if you're feeling lightheaded or weak, it's probably not really because you've got low blood sugar levels. It's probably some other reason. There's very little evidence to suggest that anyone ever, unless you're diabetic, ever has a proper fucking hypo. Um, anyway, that's a rant, wasn't it? Okay, cool. So it can be used for energy because it can be converted to glucose when needed. Um, what other functions of proteins are there then, Johnny? Oh, in the, there's many functions of protein. We're surprised what protein what things are made up of protein and what it does. 
So basically, any any structure in your body is made of proteins, even disease. So what? disease, you know, and things that are made of proteins. You can you can see the far the far reaching effects of what protein is in, from muscle to disease. I mean everything. So I should tell you that is essential for life, for one. You know what I mean? Well, but for people in, in terms of practical, then protein, and obviously meaning mask in particular, um, makeup, hair, skin, teeth, bones. So if you, the logic says, if, you, if you're chronically lacking in these things, then the body will use protein for the essential things that it needs to live, and it will just disregard the thing that, it, that is non-essential for life. So your hair will be shit, your nails will be shit, your skin will be crap, all because mm-hmm. you haven't eaten enough protein. So yeah. I don't think that's really said. I think protein is always sort of, oh, just just builds muscle when it's actually you know critical for life at the end of the day because everything biological is made of protein, mm-hmm. amino acids, far-reaching it does it does sound like it's quite essential i mean i guess you look at um people that suffer from like anorexia nervosa or um other eat- disordered eating obviously they're not consuming enough food in general but obviously also not consuming enough protein um as a result and you often find that obviously anorexics might then suffer from obviously hair falling out or the hair and, s- and nails don't grow um they might get obviously it's also to lack, lack of fats sort of lack of fats as well but obviously like uh dry flaky skin and there, obviously, it's amazing. Obviously, the role of like you know we are focused on protein, but the the role of nutrients or food taking things we don't even consider sometimes, and especially in our, the fitness community, you know, you think of protein, you think of muscle gain, but actually, there's so much more to it. Like you say, in terms of your hair, your skin, your teeth, your bones. Um, you mentioned about diseases having a um, element of of proteins in them. You know, like we talk about digestion and the fact that proteins are in obviously digestive enzymes and literally everything. Every cell has got some form of proteins in it. So, yes, yeah, that sounds pretty essential to me. There's a reason why the first ingredient in baby formula is whey. If you didn't know that, you knew that. The people listening to know that. Yeah, Look well, at baby formula, whey. I add whey to my baby formula. Fun enough, I had, I had a shake the day and Eliza wanted it. So she had some yeah. chocolate whey protein. She, she loved it. Yes, yeah, summer. When I, if I have a protein bar, summer will not leave me alone until she has some. She always gets a bite of my protein bar, little bits every now and then. So, yeah, she absolutely loves that as well. Probably shouldn't. There's probably stuff in there which I would prefer not to have. Ideally, i.e., like lots of sweeteners and stuff. Um, cause obviously, there is some research evidence to show that um, even if they're non-calorie or non-calorific sweetened stuff, like, i.e., sweeteners, they can often still cause appetite issues and you know that type of stuff. Because obviously, they just want sweet stuff, I suppose. Um, but you know, a little bit of protein by every now and then. I'm not, a, I'm not an absolute fucking dictator, or you know, you got to let kids live. Yeah, she's quite a fan of uh, natural yogurt and chocolate protein together, mixed oh, up with some. Yeah, perfect. Watched it the other day. She had us. We had. We made obviously homemade sweet potato, you know, fries wedges. So she had a few, and then mm. she she looked at you finished. So I do one no. Didn't want no more. Uh, yogurt? Yes. She's got a little um, milky bar yogurt. 
amazing yogurts. And she went and then dipped the sweet potato in the yogurt and ate it. See, girl after my taste, mate. I am a biggest sweet and savoury fan. Yeah, banging. Do that. That's definitely my child. (laughs) So, um, proteins obviously are that important. So, what are some of like the health benefits then? So, like consuming more protein, we've kind of touched on a little bit, I suppose, but. Um, what just the... Nope. Go on. I'll go with it. Yeah. Okay. Also, just talk about the hair and skin. So, make sure you actually have got healthy hair and skin. Um, obviously, being a healthy weight is very important for weight loss. And protein will help the weight loss process by increasing something called the thermic effect of feeding. Um, basically, that means when you eat food, your body burns calories to digest that food and take it where it needs to go. Um, it increases satiety in one meal and across a day. So satiety means you feel fuller. And obviously, if you feel fuller, there's a less tendency for you to snack and eat more, which is obviously conducive to good weight loss. To good weight loss? To weight loss. To good weight loss, rather than bad weight loss. You know, those yeah. those you know those high, bad calorie weight loss things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And obviously, as you mentioned before, it's made up of protein makes up pretty much everything in the body. So it is essential for life. So obviously, it's essential for health. Because if you're not healthy, if you're dead, clearly. Um, Muscle retention. Obviously, when you lose weight, you're restricting calories and having an adequate protein intake during weight loss phases will help you retain muscle which obviously makes you look better. And as you get older, the less muscle you have, the chance, the chances of you falling and not being able to pick yourself up are obviously greater because you've got no, you've got less muscle, mm-hmm. less strength. So if you think long-term, it is very important to have, we're not saying you have to be huge for adequate muscle mass for health because if you can go to the gym and eat resistance training a few times a week, eat a decent amount of protein, and that saves you when, I know it's stupid, when you're 70, and you can catch yourself from falling and not break a hip. Surely it's worth it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you can see there's more people now are older who are training. And it's, it's good for you. Yeah, I, um, I can't remember what... Um whereabouts it is in terms of percentages but i think it's something like the third or fourth highest cause of death in the elderly falling because obviously what generally happens is someone falls and they don't necessarily die they fall and break a leg or break a hip or something as you say they become bedridden they then um debilitate even further and and obviously that then puts their quality of life so so poor they then often can never recover from that and obviously i've seen it firsthand within my grandparents and obviously it is quite common and if you can avoid that just by upping your protein a, a bit during and obviously doing a bit of resistance training, like you say, Johnny, I think why would you not do it? Because it just it can help negate those risks of of you know we we all we all work hard and try to save for retirement. You know my you know it's my my other role and my other job is obviously kind of to do with pensions and stuff. And it's it always really upsets me when I see people do that and they get to retirement and then something happens. Um, and they can't live their retirement because they work so hard for it and you retire and then something happens and they either die or they have such a poor quality of life. 
for something that can be reasonably well avoided, you know, not completely, but you know, you can help yourself here and you can do stuff to help you in your time. Why would you not want to live your time in the best possible health and live longer? Well, Ooh, well, no. That was well, sad think, me. Yeah. yeah. yeah I think I, I, probably we all guilty. You, you don't, a lot of people don't think about that today. They don't think, oh, I'm 25, 30, 40 now. I got 25, 30 years for you to worry about pensions and being old. Well, actually, you build the foundations now mm. to have a good life when Absolutely. you're older. Absolutely. You look at medical care, look for the average age gone from like 65 to feminine. Is it in the 80s yet? That's close. Maybe women are in the 80s. It's like that's just from being healthy or being able to maintain um, a healthier body, obviously, through medical care. But it works the other way. If you keep your body as healthy as possible through training, being a healthy weight, eating properly, fruits, veg, blah, 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 then you've got more chance of living longer. I'm not saying you wouldn't live longer because obviously there's other factors, genetics, diseases, etc. But just put yourself in the right place to be able to live the best life possible when you're older. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think what people miss is like they might think, oh well, you know, I might live two years longer on average than I would have done, and the stat, the research statistics might be around there in terms of the amounts, kind of quite true. But what you don't kind of consider is actually. For those, I don't know, I can't remember what the average age is, but it's late 70s for, 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 I think women obviously live slightly longer than men, but they're around the late 70s in terms of how long they live for. You think to yourself, well, your average retirement years are, you know, like 15, 20 years. What you don't realise is obviously you, looking after your health, you live in a far higher quality of life for those 15 to 20 years than someone that didn't, that's someone that smoked, drunk, didn't exercise, so didn't eat enough protein. Yeah. Um, I mean, with today's healthcare... There's no reason why you couldn't live to 100, especially when we are, you know, how many years' time is that? 70 years' time? There's be a lot of centenarians compared to what there is now. Obviously, we know more about health. We know more about how to fix diseases, illnesses. So you could retire at 65 and legitimately live to 100. That's 35 years. That's a long, that's more than I've been alive now that I could be retired for. Surely you'd want the best quality of life possible. I'm not saying you're running around the place at 85, 90, but if you can still walk to the shop, you can still do everything yourself. You can still walk them down the stairs. That's better than some people being in homes and can't do anything for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so protein, health benefits, you know, we've talked about um, obviously for weight maintenance, healthy hair and skin, um, I don't know if you mentioned, obviously, its role in immune function. Obviously, that's just, you know, we talked about protein and enzymes and some of the necessarily, uh, some of the role in how all of that works for uh, immune function. I don't, to be honest, that's quite detailed and I don't know a lot about it. So um, I can't go into too much detail unless you know more. Unfortunately, I don't. No, um, but obviously it's necessary for immune function. So um, it might help you stave off some of those colds or, you know, other other diseases, etc., etc. So... Shall we talk about protein for performance benefits? Because a lot of people listening, that might be more up their street. So we talked about the health benefits, which are cool. And obviously, they are absolutely, in, in my eyes, the most important part. But a lot of people do focus on you know, why we take protein, especially in this area for performance. Right. Okay. So, obviously, different types of performance. So a bodybuilder's performance 
is not the same as a, a triathlete's performance. A bodybuilder's performance is how they look. A triathlete's performance is how fast they are. So <clears throat> you, have to, you have to set up a diet differently if you're a bodybuilder compared to if you're um, a runner. Because a runner is going to consume more carbohydrates to be able to fuel workouts. So protein overall will be less because you have to sacrifice. So you're not sacrificing. You, you, you give yourself adequate protein to recover. So that's one of the benefits of protein. But not so much that you're taking away from the thing that's going to make you perform on race day. But when it comes to a bodybuilder who wants to maximize muscle growth, then they will consume higher protein levels. So obviously that depends, but and it depends on the research you look at. But I think in general, for for weight loss as a bodybuilder, then one point eight, probably two minimum, really. Then it's been uh, they've been up to three point two grams per kilo of lean body mass. So it's quite you know it's quite a big difference because they. Need retain as much muscle as possible so in their eyes they can probably afford to take away from carbs and fats to, to consume those calories as protein as even a just in case I'd rather consume more just in case it gives me that little bit more chance of retaining muscle mass but for increasing muscle mass then you need protein um, that's why leucine that we mentioned earlier is essential and that's why Quality, a quality protein source is also essential for gaining optimal amounts of muscle. Because leucine is leucine a trigger for MPS muscle photosynthesis. Yep. So this is where things like food uh, frequency of meals comes in. So you hit as you would hit leucine threshold as much as you can to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Obviously, gain more muscle. So for performance-wise for a bodybuilder, then you need maybe every three to four hours to make sure you're hitting that leucine threshold as much as is practically possible throughout the day. Obviously, you have something called a refractory period, which means you can't cook seaweed 50 grams of protein at 2 o'clock, and then 50 grams of protein at 3 o'clock, which just doesn't hit the leucine threshold again. So you have to wait, I think it's between three, 3 and 5 hours or something like that. So... Obviously, is that to consider. Um, obviously, it helps you adapt to training in general. Obviously, you break down the muscles during training. Protein helps you rebuild and adapt to that training. Um, obviously, repairs muscle damage in every athlete and increases mitochondrial activity, activity, capacity, activity, mm-hmm. capacity in endurance athletes which is good for them because of the aerobic capacity of their trains the more uh the more aerobic capacity that they have I suppose, yeah I, th- I think i think the idea is obviously the mitochondria can then produce more energy which should increase performance i suppose yeah so obviously better performance more chance you're going to win things so like it does depend on what sport you're doing and 
how much protein you'd have and how you'd set up the diet to that sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we focus on leucine a lot there because obviously, like you say, it's the one building block, amino acid, that is almost like the signal for muscle building to start. It's the only one. So, um I guess as a as someone that wants to try and increase muscle mass or I suppose retain, uh, I, th- I don't know how much of an important role that has really in in retaining muscle, but obviously we know that increasing like protein balance, i.e. the amount of protein that's being created and protein that's being broken down, because that happens literally continuously all through the day. You kind of build in proteins. So you go back to our house analogy. The way we work in terms of kind of increasing the amount of muscle we have or decreasing the amount of muscle we have is it's a constant state of building and, and, and breaking down. So the house analogy, you can imagine maybe let's say we're building a garden wall. Let's use a garden wall. And at one end, we're chopping on bricks and building the size of this wall. And at the other end, we're taking them off. We want more bricks going on than coming off. That should increase in a bigger wall or sorry, result in a bigger wall. That's the idea of muscle protein balance or synthesis. So we're trying to synthesize more wall so there's more... Um, synthesis than breakdown and obviously that's the idea of obviously kind of stimulate we, we eat protein but we need like so basically if you're the protein is the building blocks but leucine is kind of like your your lead worker shouting telling everyone to kind of start building bricks so you have to consume you are forming. yeah you're forming sorry yeah you're not your lead worker you're forming your forming basically tells everyone to get working. So without forming, no, you can eat some protein without leucine, but you won't start this muscle protein synthesis um, or this increase in protein. Um, and obviously vice versa, you can take just leucine, but without the other essential amino acids, you won't actually be able to have anything to build. So that's kind of why obviously it's important to have high quality protein that contains a decent amount of leucine. Lucky enough, you don't need to think about it too much if you're just consuming high quality protein. So if you're consuming a decent amount of animal protein, like whey protein or chicken or turkey, um, pork, albeit a lot of people think pork has a low leucine content, but in reality, reality it doesn't. Um, a lot of these foods have high leucine content and obviously a full spectrum amino acids. So you don't have to think about it. You just consume a decent serving, what you normally would, and boom, you've, you've kind of ticked all your boxes, what you need to do to think about building proteins so i suppose like the refractory period i want to bring that to maybe to life a little bit more you talked about because like you say well if this is the case brett i can just eat protein all day can't i you know if i just want to keep stimulating protein as much as possible so that i have this massive wall by the end of the day well unfortunately it doesn't quite work like that as johnny said they you do have to give it some time where you, you stimulate synthesis as high as possible and then you can't stimulate it again until it drops so if you do try, it'll drop anyway. So that's kind of why you have to. So it's it's kind of like kind of wasted. The stimulatory effect of leucine is wasted if you try and do it again, you know, an hour later, say. So you kind of want to wait for this re- refractory period, which is around three to five hours. Um, they did some research, didn't they, where they literally uh, intravenously drip fed um, uh, protein into let's say, I assume they were bodybuilders, I don't know, why else would you do it? But they basically compared like pulsing protein in every three to five hours and they compared the amount of muscle protein synthesis compared to someone that constantly drip fed it and the pulsing had a better effect on muscle protein synthesis than drip feeding because essentially, like we say, during the period after it was first done, it rose, but then when they were constantly then um, drip feeding people, it didn't have any additional effect. Whereas obviously the ones that are pulsing that had this refractory time, what we call it, where it went up, went down, 
and then they pulsed it again, then it went up again. So essentially it was more effective at total amount of protein synthesis. So we know there's research that shows that it does that, which is why you know you hear bodybuilders saying, you know, you've got to have protein every three to five hours. Um so like from a practicality standpoint, just eat your usual meals. Have your breakfast, lunch, dinner and a protein before bed. You know? That kind of makes sense. You don't need yeah. to know the science. You know, that's just how it works. And obviously people need to be aware of that probably is not just for building muscle. It is for every other function you have in your body as well. So it will use that over there. Muscle is a costly process. Probably doesn't want to do it. You know what I mean? But so there is it's not just why oh, fifty grams of protein, all that's going to my bicep as well. No, that's going on the whole body and what the body needs and when the body needs it. That doesn't mean, like you say, that then, you know, if you don't have a high leucine protein source or a, a full, you know, like amino acid profile, like high quality protein source, doesn't mean it's wasted, still get used for all these other functions that protein's used for. We, we were talking specifically for kind of muscle building and, you know, like what bodybuilders and people that, that are into physique sports or want to improve their physique should kind of pay more attention to. So, um, should we just quickly tackle some, some myths about protein? Yes, I think you mentioned one there, didn't you? Uh, which one did I mention? Um, you said... Oh, about you... protein being wasted. Yeah. Oh, Johnny, um, I was wondering, some, yeah. some some guy in the gym the other day said to me, dude, you shouldn't be having that super-sized shake of, of whey protein because did you not know your body can only digest or absorb 20 to 30 grams of protein at a time and the rest is just going to be wasted? Wow. That's what I say to that. Wow. I think for everyone look, listen to this, think of this practically, right? A 17-year-old bloke owes 10 stone, right? A 35-year-old man, bodybuilder, 22 stone. Do you think that they are both going to require the same amount of protein? No. Because when you work on someone's protein intake through the day, it's largely based on their weight. So clearly, there's a 12-stone difference. So there's more of that person for the protein. So he needs more protein because there's more of him. So there's more protein in his body naturally because he's got more bone, he's got more muscle, he's, everything is bigger. So it requires more. So there's the first thing. It's ridiculous. So you can't say, oh, we all require the same amount of protein. It's just, it's just it doesn't make sense in that respect um but sort of this sort of amount 20 to 30 grams is about the level that sort of is necessary for muscle protein synthesis what you mentioned earlier so if you had said you don't need any more than 30 grams to stimulate more muscle you won't grow anymore you could say well okay fair enough however that doesn't mean your body's not going to use it like we said earlier if you consume 60 grams and if the body uses 30 grams to build muscle, it's still going to use that 30 grams elsewhere throughout the whole entirety of your body. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's, and I don't think there's any, is there any data at all to even back it up even a little bit? I don't. No, no your body, I'm pretty sure they've worked out that your body's pretty smart and that it will, it will hold back some of the protein to be digested and then used, like you say, for, 
you know it might slow digestion time a bit and then you know it's used for other things in terms of all the health benefits and stuff we talked about and um, there's also some stuff which might show that it might not you know you might maximally stimulate the positive side of you know protein balance i.e you know 30 grams of protein might be enough leucine to maximize you know that amount but what does it do for, to blunt the other end so does it then hold back muscle protein breakdowns it stops you breaking down so much so you you know because obviously it is a an equation almost so it, yeah it, like johnny like you say it's, it's not wasted is it it's certainly um you know arguably you might want to think well you know optimally if i'm eating one gram per pound or 2.2 grams of uh, protein per kilogram whichever way you want it what um uh method you want to use um for me, which is obviously around 180 pound, 80 grams of protein. Yes, I, arguably you might say, well, you know, I want to break that down into 40, 45 grams of protein servings. And obviously that'd be optimal for the amount of protein per serving to maximize muscle protein. But it doesn't mean obviously that then if I have to have a meeting of, uh, a, a meal of 60 grams, oh, I've wasted 15 grams or 20 grams of it. It's just not how it works, is it? Unfortunately not. The body's never that simple and you can't trick your body. It knows. It's got systems in place. Negative feedback loops. It knows what's going on. Can't trick it. So if I do eat too much protein, will it damage my kidneys? No. Thankfully. <laughs> I, think then, I think if you have existing kidney conditions, um, then I'm guessing your, your doctor will say maybe you need to limit protein to some degree. But if you're... <laughs> A healthy individual, then protein is not going to damage your kidneys. Um, um, Antonio, Mr. Antonio et al. 2016, this is what he said: in resistance-trained men that consumed a high-protein diet, and this is between two and a half and 3.32 grams per kilo a day. Now, 3.32 is a high amount. I mean, if you look at that practically, if you're a hundred kilo man, that's 330 grams a day. That's a lot. Yeah, I think just to put it into context, I think for Gen Pop and people that aren't really worried about trying to gain muscle, it's probably about three times, maybe four times the amount we might recommend for someone. Yeah, per day, it's considerably over what you need. Yeah. They did it for a year. There were no harmful effects on measures of blood lipids as well as liver and kidney function. Uh, another one: It appears that protein intake under two point eight grams a kilo does not impair renal function well in trained athletes. I was in 2000, and moderate changes in dietary protein intake cause adaptive alterations in renal size and function without indication of adverse effects. That was in 99. So basically, increase your protein, your body will adapt to that level um, by all, with alterations in renal size and function, but without indications of negative effects. So I'm not sure really where it comes from, whether it's people oh. who protein who have got pre-existed yeah. issues. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure I've I've kind of... Uh, I think it basically comes from, um, obviously, people having higher protein um, amounts, obviously then increases, like it said, renal function and size. And I think people then thought, or doctors then thought, oh, well, obviously, that must be the case, obviously, that if they're... Um, putting strain on kidneys then if you've got obviously kidney issues you don't want to be doing that so therefore we need to reduce protein because you know it's kind of like the the wrong way around you think obviously high protein must cause kidney issues when actually the people with kidney issues probably just can't quite deal with as much protein i don't know if i've explained that very well yeah 
Anyway, yeah. So yeah, it's fine, pretty much. Yeah, I think. I mean, the point you said is obviously there's been numerous studies on it, and there is no, literally, no evidence to suggest that people with healthy um, working kidneys have ever suffered any protein damage from incredibly high amounts of like protein intake, like more than most people would ever ever consider taking. Well, no. I mean, it's just, it's just one of, it's like the media, they catch certain things, and they blow all out of proportion, or just flat out lie, because they do do that. Mm. And it's just, you said they do. Yeah, it's just, in this day and age, it doesn't seem to be much common sense around anymore. You know what I mean? Mm. Especially in the nutrition world. Absolutely right there, mate. Um, obviously, we're in a month called Veganuary, and to be honest, it's, it's, it's starting to, to kind of frustrate me a little bit. You know, I'm in my office at work and I'm I'm buying the drinks for out and trying to just fill up my water bottle. And I've got people in the, near the microwave cooking their vegan Linda McCartney meals. I don't know. And all I keep hearing them tell me about, oh, you know, there's no need to eat meat because did you know there's more protein in broccoli than steak? What do you think of that, Johnny? I think it's effing ridiculous with a capital F. <laughs> why is that uh, I think with some, is it like is 9 grams probably put under calories of uh, steak and it's the same in broccoli but then you look at it practically you write let's say right, we do it 20 grams protein a day a day a meal right so that's it's called a fight if you want to build muscle let's say 5 meals a day right just because oh let's go with 4 Right, we go with four. It's not enough, 80 grams, but whatever, for this example, right? So 100 grams of steak is about 20 grams of protein, right? So the same amount of protein from broccoli would mean you need to eat 770 grams of broccoli alone. So to even hit 80 grams of protein a day, you're going to need to eat Something like, what was it, 3.7 kilos of broccoli wow. just to get 80 wow. grams of protein? And is it a complete protein? No. There's, there's the other thing. It's like, I th- I just think it's said by people who think they're smart, but are really idiots. Yeah. And yeah. not in this, but people who actually just hear it in the office. I mean, people who start these things. Oh, yeah, but blah, 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 blah. So, but I haven't really thought about that. Use your head, for God's sake. And veganry is just vegan, whatever. Veganary. It's just, it's, just a, it's just another load of stupidity marketed by some div to make money. If they'd said, look, you're probably best off cutting your meat intake because all you're eating is burgers and hot dogs and shit packet meat. Eat some more fruit and veg. There we are. That's all you need to do. You don't need to go vegan for a month for one month what are you going to achieve in one month that's going to be any benefit to your health probably not a lot one you probably can't stick to it two it's not actually healthier three you probably aren't going to clear up to set a vegan diet up properly and it's like it's just another load of shit yeah. you, can't, you can't argue with people so I don't bother it's like do what you want do whatever you want because you think you know best and I'm going to clue no, I agree. Uh, it's funny that the, the the environmental concerns are often debated as well. Not I. I don't know the. I didn't know enough detail to really kind of have an informed opinion on it. But certainly, people say about well, you know, 
having to keep all of these animals um, for obviously for our consumption and, and production of animal products, they're taking up too much land and the emissions issues that it creates. I've I've read some research from, from obviously different sides and balanced arguments around or actually the, the the production of obviously a lot of plant based stuff it can actually take up or have a larger effect on our environmental issues than even kind of keeping animals. So even some of those issues or um, those those reasons or rationale for eating might not even be necessarily kind of you know they might not stand up. So so yeah, so seven hundred and seventy grams or. You know, to to get enough protein that we're recommending, like several kilos worth of broccoli. I imagine that's probably not going to do your digestion. Um, oh. Certainly, your your regularity of passing, if I may say, it, a lot of no. good. And if that was a lot of fiber, if that was a genuine real life situation, then you're more likely to be in a 160 gram range. So that's seven kilos. <laughs> it's like what planet are you living on? No, I, I I like broccoli. Probably more than the most than your average person, you know. I do genuinely probably eat broccoli six out of seven days every week, but that's a shit ton. If you excuse my pun, shit ton of broccoli. I'd like to think most people couldn't eat seven kilos of anything, no matter what how nice it was at the start. It would I, end up being horrendous. I don't know. I could eat seven kilos of Lidl's gingerbread latte. No, not Lidl's. Aldi's gingerbread latte ice cream. That was amazing. But eventually, we get ill, wouldn't you? Now, I'd get diabetes. I suppose that's an illness, it's a disease. But jokes, jokes. All right, just joking. It's like it's like again. It's like I don't know. It's just more stupidity in it. It's like when people are going to get it. Like you have to eat less to lose weight. When you weigh less and you're at a nice, healthy weight, you're going to be healthier. If you base your diet on some meat. Yeah, some dairy, loads of fruit and veg. Then you're not really going to go wrong, you. That's not like it's not extreme. You should have a bit of everything. You don't need to have too much meat because obviously, too much meat most people eat of because they eat too much meat and therefore too many calories, which makes them put on weight, which makes them unhealthier. It's like it's not rocket science and it's just made to, it's made it's just made so difficult it's like but people don't listen they listen to morons it's like it's the only profession where the professionals get laughed at because they actually talk sense and then you're talking to the people who seem to get the most traction are the biggest idiots who can talk the loudest who sound convincing but really haven't got a clue it's like honest to god it's like the population, our population just goes to, the brain goes to mud when it comes to nutrition and health compared to any other realm. If a sister said to you, don't do that, I know better because I've trained in it. You listen, but then in nutrition, it's like, no, I don't think so. I know best. I've lost weight once in my life, so I know I'm a professional. Well, so not, everyone, everyone eats, don't they, Johnny? So everyone has an opinion. Like everybody's got an arsehole. Like everyone's got an arsehole. Everyone eats out of their arsehole is what you're saying. Everybody talks shit. <laughs> um, so that's, I think, most of oh, everything we want to cover. Thank you, Rosie, for the topic. Um, I hope it did what you want to do. But we kind of I think the, the, the take-home point is just eat regular high-quality protein, obviously unless it's against your beliefs in terms of animal welfare, environmental, blah, 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 etc. Um, 
then fine. But obviously, you need to work a bit harder to get other sources of, of protein in to obviously make up for that. Um, but other than that, just eat like an adult. Regular servings, just you know, make it make it a fo- uh, a focus in, or you know, kind of give it some priority because. I am one of these people, and I've, had, I've said this a couple of times of late, I'm one of these people that I look at a meal that doesn't contain like a protein source. You know, like, some might have like a mac and cheese, and I'm like, I look at that and think, that's a fucking weird meal. Like, where's your protein? But the general population don't don't look like that, do they? They don't look at a meal and worry no. about it at all. It's, and, and for me, I'm like the other way around. I'm like, man, I couldn't eat that meal. It's got no protein in it. But, you know. I only have a meal without protein. I like, stopped the other day, and I was on like 230 grams of protein a day. Like, I don't eat any more. I'm already over. Mm. So at the end of the day, then I would have something that hasn't got protein in. Yeah, but even then, but, I feel weird about doing that. Yeah. Just because I'm but so then, ingrained. Yeah, but most things you eat have got some sort of protein in them, even next. So it's like, it's like you have zero, it's just you're having not a quality source. You know what I mean? No, true. I mean, you know, I don't know, mate. I eat a lot of things that might have very little protein, i.e., ice cream. I think I, on that day, I actually had Rice Krispies. Or, or Rice Krispies, they have very little protein, so you add milk to it. Yeah, it. <clears throat> the last thing, obviously, Rosie did ask that we should probably just quickly cover, actually, is... Uh, so, we obviously busted load, uh, all the main myths that you hear about protein there, but um, I think a lot of people don't understand the difference between whey protein um, isolate versus concentrate. So, I don't know whether you want me to cover that off, whether you want to. Or... I'll let you cover it off. I've, I've, I've talked too much. You talk too much, right? Well, I, I was going to do the whole thing in a Welsh accent then, but I decided that I'll probably balls up at some point and won't bother. Um, I'll be honest, um, Rosie, just to answer your question on this, because obviously you did specifically ask, there isn't a huge amount of difference. Um, they're both supplements. Um, they're both, uh, obviously, the whey derivative of milk. So, obviously, you know, we talked about before, when you separate milk into curds and whey, you get your curds, your cheese, you get your whey, which is your leftover stuff, which the sports industry decided, oh, actually, we'll use that waste product as something useful, i.e., you know, a protein source. Um, now, the main difference between the two is that isolate is far more filtered than concentrate. So what that actually then ends up meaning is that it has less lactose, which so it's good for people that are um, have issues with lactose. So often some people that are either lactose intolerant or some, some, some issues with lactose, they can sometimes stomach an isolate because obviously it has less lactose in. So if you kind of get bloating or issues with concentrate maybe try and isolate and that might help some people um it also tends to have lower carbohydrate and fat content which means that um it is a bit lower on the calorie front so if you're kind of working out your cost of your calorie cost per gram of protein i.e how much grams of protein you get per say 100 calories um your isolate's going to be better than your concentrate because it's a bit more filtered and has less carbs and fats in it. But we are talking absolute minuscule amounts, really. You know, as example, a serving of whey protein might be 125 calories, 20 plus grams of protein, five grams of carbs and one gram of fat. Your isolate might be 110 calories, 20 grams of protein, one gram of carbs, two grams of carbs, and half a gram of fat. So you're barely talking any difference there. Um, Certainly for me, I don't buy isolate. I don't recommend people buy an isolate outside of the lactose issue purely because the cost difference is usually a lot more for isolate because of the whole filtered thing. And the rest of it's marketing. So um, your isolate versus concentrate, that's it. That in a nutshell. Like basically buy concentrate unless you have some, some lactose issues um, or you really want to try and milk as much protein for as low a calorie as possible as you can. Um, but I think if you're doing that, you're probably um, over worrying things because, you know, very little difference. No, I think I, think I, I don't buy 
I, when my younger days, I bought isolate. What's the other one? Hydro, hydro isolate as well. Hydrolyzed. Hydrolyzed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it's the same thing. Another, it's just another product that people can come out and say, "Oh, it's absorbed quicker or better." And isolate, I think, is absorbed a tiny bit quicker. But whey proteins like absorb so quick anyway. Yeah. So, like again, you're talking such minuscule differences. So, it's just not something to worry about. I mean, it can. The only thing with whey isolate can be a bit thinner. So some people might stomach it more if they don't like a, a thicker shake. But I'll be honest, I tend to find that that just varies so much from brand, even in concentrate. Like you buy like a my protein, it tends to be really thin. My protein, the, you might yeah, you might get like another one which has a bit more fillers or something that makes it a bit thicker anyway. So that's that's more the the brand in my opinion necessarily than than the type of protein. I guess you could talk. Uh, we could argue about casein. So um, casein being obviously the other, like another part of obviously um, a protein uh, or type of dairy protein. Um, that's a bit chalkier, thicker to drink, uh, a lot slower digesting. So a lot of people decide that it's a better thing to have before bed because obviously it drip feeds a bit slower and, and digests and gets into the bloodstream a lot um, over a longer period of time. But again, to be honest, I think for most people, it's just details not to worry about. Yeah. Back in the day, doing training, I used to have a litre, or was it a 900ml bottle, Pepto Pro. Mm. Pepto Pro in there. That's so, a Pepto Pro and something like Vitago or something like that, haven't they? Oh, like, yeah, what, like car, uh, Vitago is like basically just a quick digestion sugar, isn't it? Yeah, Pepto Pro is just a horrific amount of money for what it is. Like. Yeah, so is Vitago, I think. Or well, it's a bit cheaper nowadays. I think it's a bit more mass-produced, but it used to be really expensive yeah. as well. Yeah, the special. The new ad cycle Dextrin was the new special one. It's just like, well, look at it, it's all sugar. <laughs> yeah, as I say, it's just it's sugar. It's just absorbed a bit quicker, maybe a bit easier on the gut than drinking Silver Spoon, but... <laughs> same fucking thing in the end of the day it's all glucose um well actually it's not all glucose we know what i mean it's, it all ends up as glucose um cool right long podcast hopefully we did like, obviously it was quite an educational piece i think and hopefully we tried to make it as interesting as possible but you know do what the people want talk about protein yeah good podcast cool. on that note I think it's time to sign off. So I will bid you farewell. We haven't much else to talk about yet. Um, but big news is coming soon. Right. Keep your ears peeled. Keep your, ear, keep your ears peeled. Sorry. Jokes. All right. Bonjour. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week. <laughs>